0: Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Ephraim Martinez. I am a principal in search of wisdom and I have found productivity to be a great tool for success. Today I have the great and distinguished honor of interviewing Dana Goodyear, who is a veteran teacher and current middle school administrator with over 18 years of experience teaching word language and English. Building off her own growth as a teacher, she is dedicated to providing schools with techniques to minimize off-task behavior and to increase time on task. An author, blogger, and podcaster. I can't wait to learn from her. Dana Goodyear, who are you?
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for the introduction, Efrián. Um, I'm a passionate educator. Um, I'm somebody who got into education because I have a passion for teaching languages. Um, I'm still highly involved with the state's um, World Language Teacher Organization as president-elect. So, you know, really wanting to um, teach kids about the cultures of French-speaking countries and uh, German-speaking countries. And uh, when I got into administration is because, you know, I saw what was happening in a lot of the schools um, and just the lack of uh, support for teachers. And so I really, um, you know, wanted to step into that role um, to um, help not only the staff, but also the culture of the school, which trickles down from um, the leadership to the students via, via the teachers. So um, I'm happy to be here today and uh, talk shop.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, Dana, can you walk us through your um, professional journey up to this point? <laughs>
1: well, um, so I write blogs for Teach Better Team. And I remember at the beginning of we just ended, you know, the twenty. Uh, to 23 school year, at least here in Colorado. I know some people are still going, but at the beginning of this school year, I wrote a blog post about 20 years in K 12 education. So um, I've been in education for 23 years, but I, I taught for a couple of years at the grad school. Uh, I was a grad school intern, so um, taught a couple of years um, uh, English for uh, people who were learning um, pedagogy to be English teachers in uh, French speaking Quebec in Canada. And then I went in, uh, came to Colorado uh, 21 years ago now and started teaching French. So I taught French for about 13 years. And during that time, I was in a, um, a department chair, two different high schools. I worked uh, as a gifted, talented co-coordinator um, and um, really was took an interest in attendance um, as a teacher. So the last high school I taught at, we did standard space grading and that was like you hit learning targets basically whenever during the semester at your own pace. Um, But for the students who had significant absences, it was very hard to um, help them get caught up um, learning the different skills in French one and French two. So, um, you know, I was always involved in attendance committees and trying to find ways to keep students in class and also um, out of, you know, out um, of the hallways and, Really um, engaging students. So, um, my last uh, regular teaching um, was about eight years ago, and then that trickled over to being an administrator. So, working a lot with families and supporting them and getting their students to come to school, and also helping teachers in the classroom, as you mentioned in my bio. you know, I, I do a lot of PD at the school and district level, facilitate and develop, but I also like to speak at conferences. So, um, you know, I am going to speak in about two weeks at a conference here in Denver called Global Minded. Um, and so I'm doing a presentation on, um, you know, connections with families. <laughs> and then um, so far, I'm also uh, signed up to speak at uh, AMLE in November. So it's a passion of mine to, you um, really uh, get the word out there to help educators with strategies uh, to succeed in the classroom, to connect with students. Um, So also, you mentioned I'm a podcaster. I've um, hosted the Out of the Trenches podcast uh, for a little over three years now. So I'm really excited um, to be on somebody else's podcast. And I also (laughs) had you on mine. So and we're both on the Teach Better podcast network. Uh, I've been blogging since uh, about December of 2020 uh, 20 with the Teach Better team also. So I really like uh, providing that content to educators and, um, you know, just kind of reflecting on my day. So, you know, I wrote a blog post the other day when it was the last day of school, kind of uh, asking readers to kind of reflect on the year that's passed. So, um, yeah, I'm excited what are, to come talk. What are so, yeah. some of
0: your reflections of this past year?
1: Well, you know, I think the first thing that st- stands out to me is uh, we're still coming out of that uh, post-pandemic phase in terms of what I'm seeing at the middle school level that, um, and this is particularly uh, male students, it's just that the need to kind of be hands-on, right? Yeah. And this could be, um, In some of it's the aggressive, you know, not warranted fighting, push, pushing, shoving. um, not necessarily all out fight, but the pushing and the shoving. Um, but also just the really, um, the, the just touchy feeling, I would say that's kind of, um, a little bit more that, that I'm, I've been seeing than in previous, um, you know, pre-pandemic times. Um, It's also, um, it just kind of depends on the students, right? The group of students, but there's also lack of engagement, obviously, but that I think is from teacher's classroom to teacher's classroom. Um, You know, how many students are going to be pulling up games while they're working on the computer, right? And how many students are actually going to be doing the work? Um, At the middle school level, kids do not, you know, take their grade as seriously because it's not going towards the GPA, uh, towards college and career. So, um, you know, some some teachers that I uh, support have been uh, working on projects at the beginning of the year uh, or the end of the year, sorry. And then they were um, a lot of students at the end of the year just didn't have that. Right. And they had like three weeks to work on the project. Right. So students really not taking accountability for doing work that you know had plenty of time provided to them so those are those are the negative things that stand out but also i think uh teachers are coming the positive things are teachers coming a lot more together um to support one another um the plc model Um, Least or I've been as strong, um, you know, in the grade level teams, not only with the subject area PLCs, but also the grade level teams, Um, you know, the MTSS model, um, you know, just really uh, teachers, um, you know, voicing any concerns that they have with students um, and getting support from admin and counselors. Um, I also see um, the district I'm in moving forward uh, with equity um, practices. Uh, There's an equity summit coming up this week uh, right after Memorial Day. So uh, we worked on equitable grading at the school level. Mm. Um, So, you know, I'm I'm excited to dive into some of these sessions. I'm not speaking at the conference, but really learning more about um, some, some more practices that we can use in our buildings and uh, really support our, um, our diverse population. Um, and I've also supported uh, a lot with the English uh, language learners, which you now call multilingual uh, learners, um, in the co-teaching model as well. So that's something that I've done more this year than prior. And I've learned a lot about the co-teaching uh, strategies and um, how teachers um, trying to get to that 50/50 uh, split teacher,, you know, both mm-hmm. of the co-teachers working um, kind of parallel.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me ask you, what are one or two uh, things you have done that have increased attendance? And I'm asking because Mm -hmm. attendance after the pandemic, it has become such a big issue because um, I see um, that uh, parents are more lenient in allowing their children to stay at home. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, In Illinois, they're calling them mental health days. Um and uh, it's becoming some sort of a trend that whenever there's some sort of challenge, yeah. the student stays home and all they do at home is either play video games or be in social media. What are What are two things you have tried that may um, have given you success?
1: Well, I think it's uh, looking at the intrinsic and extrinsic motivators of students. So and that's often like we we have a lot of kids that are kind of slipping through the cracks because a lot of time I've interviewed students and parents when they're when they have those four plus um, unexcused absences. Right. Um, And that's when it starts becoming an issue. And, you know, I I know during the 21-22 school year, we did have students that were out for a week or so at a time because they had COVID, which really hasn't been so much an issue this year. But like you're saying, this mental health day, and I think when we're talking about students at the middle school level, we really want to dive deeper and see what's going on. um, And peer conflicts, right? Bullying, um, social media harassment, things like that. And uh, really finding out how... um, what, what other peers are saying, get some evidence, like look at, you know, the history on social media, look at the text his chain and and, and see what's happening, bring students in if we need to for a restorative conversation. But also um, really talk to the parents about the fact that, um, you know, attendance is uh, mandatory. It is, uh, you know, students are required in the state of Colorado to um, attend school until age 17. Um, and then, you know, if we have accumulated 10 plus uh unexcused absences, um, it will be up for the district uh, student review board and then truancy court. So we really want to catch it (laughs) before it gets to those 10 unexcused absences and um, really help the student find supports, um, which can be, you know, extracurricular activities, uh, clubs, Um, plug them in with web leaders if they're uh, at the beginning of the year and they're new students. But at the school I met, there's been a lot of students coming in throughout the year. And since I said I do support the multilingual learners, a lot of those students are, um, you know, not fluent in English. So um, plugging them in with buddies, right? A lot of the time, buddies that speak the language um, that they speak and also any students that might not be the multilingual learners, but also we also always have these um, students that they shadow uh, for a day when they're coming to the school as a new student Um, and then making sure that all the teachers are aware kind of where they're coming from, whether it's an international student or a student that's just coming from another school or district. Um, you know, we had a student come this year to seventh grade who'd only been at a small Montessori school, um, her whole, um, school career. Yeah. Yeah. And then coming to a large middle school, large public middle school was a change, but she, she ended up thriving found her peer group. So, you know, I was, um, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised, like seeing how, how she was, um, you know, she was a very, very good worker and, um, you know, great student, Uh, but also seeing that she found her a space at such a different um setting than what she was used to.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh So Dana, like in Back to the Future, yeah. if you could go back at any of the positions you have held in the past, mm-hmm. what would the Dana of today say to the Dana of back then?
1: Oh, gosh. Ah. Uh... I guess, you know, it's going back to that blog post I wrote about 20 years ago, uh, my first public school teaching gig in uh, 2002, 2003. Um, You know, I came from um, having worked mostly, most of my adult life at that time um, in other countries. I, i been a student in Norway and I worked with tourism and, and then I went to Canada to work as a grad, um, a teaching assistant. So um, and then I moved to Colorado, and I worked in a very conservative district. And, you know, I would probably just tell myself to just be more open to kind of uh, eyes and ears and listening to kind of uh, what the school culture and what the culture of the community was like. I was very naive at the time, right? Um And then also not taking everything personally. I remember at the time, and I've blogged about it some, like, or I wrote about it a little bit in my book as well. Like kids really took advantage of, like, you know, teachers, uh, you know, getting their goat, I would say, so to speak, right, Um, with some of that classroom management. And though, though, you learn about classroom management in you know teacher prep program, I'd been out of the teacher prep program for a couple of years at that point. Mm So you know, and I, I did my student teaching at an IB magnet school, and then. Here I was at a regular um, public school uh, with a transient population and kids that, um, you know, not always choosing to take uh, a second language. So uh, I just remember I had a lot of classroom management issues, kids that, um, you know, wanted to get a reaction out of me. Right. And I think mm. when you're a new teacher, uh, if you haven't had a similar um, a similar student teaching experience to what you're doing when you are hired as a teacher it can be a a huge transition so I probably just tell myself to uh, maybe observe more teachers than other I did observe teachers in my department but maybe observe other teachers throughout the building um, and talk to them for tips and tricks Uh, I think I did take a lot personally and was frustrated uh, rather than actually learning from others
0: very good advice and mm-hmm. i think that everybody can identify with that uh, yeah. especially if you if you came from a system that has structures in place mm-hmm. and didn't have to address the um, the issues of, of uh, mismanagement of students uh, i do concur i i well, it was a very similar to me uh, i came uh, from a system where um, the teacher will say something and you will just do it. Um, yeah. So uh, I came in and you go to schools of education and they teach you, you do this lesson plan and you do the objectives mm-hmm. and you do the activities and students will do, right? <laughs> and, and it was never like that. And I was like, is it me? Is it the school? <laughs> uh, I, I agree, there should be much more professional learning on how to address Mm-hmm. a, uh, the, what is called Marsana calls the reluctant learner. It's mm-hmm. not that they don't want to learn. It's just that you have to make it exquisite for them to, uh, to reach to the learning. Thank you yeah, so and, much. Yeah. Uh, no, go ahead. please. It's about
1: developing the relationships with kids. And it did take yeah. me a little bit of time to learn about that. Cause that was not the focus during my teacher prep program. It was more about like, you know, like you said, the lesson plan, the structures, the, um, you know, just knowing about IEPs and 504s and things like that. But I really didn't um, learn how to like um, really make it personable for the students. Right. And it was all about covering the curriculum when I first started.
0: Amen. Yep. Okay. So reading books, as you know, is a luxury. So if you have to gift two books, one fiction and one nonfiction, what will those books be?
1: Oh, wow. So, um, well, fiction books, you know, I, gosh, I've read a lot. Um, but I would say I like, uh, Jodi, uh, Pichot a lot and I read her recent and I, I know it had the title is something with bees. Um, but it was co- co-written with uh, uh, Jennifer uh, Finney Boylan, I think is her name. And so it was about bees. So I would say anything by J- Jodi Pichot, really, for fiction books. Um, and then nonfiction, I mean, I think just going off of any educational books. But I do have a few here because i would um, taken them back from the school. So Leading Equity by Sheldon Akins, and this one that just came out, A System of Principal Identity by Baruti Capelli. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, great okay. books. Uh, and I'm, I'm working my way through the, those. But, you know, I always like to read educational books. Um, like you said, it uh, just kind of depends on how much time you have. Um, right now in the mastermind I'm in, we're reading um, – it's uh, Defining Disability, I think is the name, and I can't come up, I don't have the book in front of me right now, but I can't come up with the, t- uh, the author's name, but it's, it's really um, simple to read. It's uh, just about kind of the history of disability and what is the etiquette uh, to use with disabled people and uh, just kind of how uh, disability is treated in America. So I think that's an eye-opener.
0: For the viewers and listeners of Mm -hmm. the show, can you tell us what a mastermind class is Mm -hmm. and why one should join it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I participate in two masterminds. So I'll talk about the Teach Better team one. So on Tuesday mornings, uh, 7 a.m. my time is the uh, Teach Better mastermind. And it's really just there every month we have a um, theme. Um, so it could be um, evaluations and teacher coaching, uh, it could be recruitment and retention, um, and then we, we basically have some prompting questions around that theme, and it's a 45-minute group of uh, leaders who um, just uh, answer questions and get feedback from one another, and uh, really, uh, it's a good way to start that Tuesday morning once a week um i'm in another one through better leaders better schools and in that book we are uh, in that mastermind we do read books uh, like i mentioned um this one on defining uh disability and um you know we dive into some of the themes in the books we read you know few chapters at a time um and have some guiding questions so that's half the time of the hour long mastermind and then the other half of the hour uh we have a hot seat so we have uh, members who rotate and um you know somebody's on the hot seat so they come with a challenge that they're having in their leadership role and people give uh some feedback and advice um and uh For the the book study, usually we have people rotate as a facilitator as well. Uh, So we can get different people's ideas on um, how they'd like to approach those book questions or maybe show a video or something uh, in terms of the book discussion. So, yeah, I really get a lot out of those uh, two masterminds. And I think everybody, (laughs) uh, whether they're currently in a leadership position or they're looking to be an aspiring aspiring leader, leader, Um, or they're in a teacher leader role in their school, Um, should join some type of a mastermind. um, The Mastermind with Teach Better team is free. Just sign up on the Teach Better website.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. No excuse to not keep your learning. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. So tell me uh, who is or who are your biggest influences?
1: Wow. Um, I would definitely say uh, Baruti Caffelli because, you know, I showed his book, you know, and he's, he's pumping out those books, um, you know, usually once a year on, you know, he's really taken off with his um, assistant principal um, virtual leadership academy and just the themes that he's explored. I mean, he's explored equity. He's explored a lot about how the assistant principal role uh, has often been the role of the disciplinarian and how it needs to be more instructional leadership. And that's something that I viewed for many years as um, has been an issue, right? That um, we really need to focus on um, developing our teachers and getting into, Classrooms. Um, and then I would say uh the other influence is Danny Bauer of Better Leaders Better Schools, who's my friend. I've been connected with him for about four and a half years now. Um, and just what he does to support leaders. And um, I mean, he has a lot of not only the masterminds, but and he he has another book coming out now on um, uh, on, uh, entry plan. Yeah. Entry plan. Thank
0: you. <laughs> I, I, I just had
1: him. You last just week interviewed day. him. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did too. Yeah. So, you know, and how he just, um, I mean, he runs small cohorts on different topics and, um, you know, supporting just, um, the challenges of, um, the job in school administration and, uh, connecting leaders as well, um, through, uh, masterminds and just through the different, um, Uh, web offerings that he has on social media. So yeah, those two, I definitely get a lot of content and learning from them throughout the week.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kudos to Baruti and Danny, awesome Mm -hmm. influencers in the field of education and beyond. So uh, Dana, how do you address this thing called imposter syndrome when we feel that we might not be good enough to do something or competent enough or, or just uh worthy enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that I have experienced and I think it's really it's talking with others who know you well um in your field and leaning on them uh to get that support and hearing from them and you know even though sometimes I'll hear from a colleague like, you know, uh the kudos, right? I don't always take it uh, for what it's worth, right? And I think it's really um, just reflecting on what you've learned throughout the years and how you're positively influencing others. Um, I think there's not going to be a time in your career where you're not gonna feel a little bit of imposter syndrome, but it's um, it's just seeing how you've grown, right? Um, and seeing how your um, influence either at the building level or um, in your realm of the PLN on social media and the content that you're providing, how that um, helps others. So, yeah, I don't say I can, I have a a curative on imposter syndrome, but I think it's really um, just making sure that you are not um, providing yourself with negative self-talk because you are doing something great. Whether you have a big role in education or a small role, you're influencing your students, you're influencing your colleagues
0: as well. Beautiful, thank you so much. I was I was uh, perusing about your book, and it seems mm-hmm, that this mm-hmm. question might be connected to your book. Can you tell us about uh, your wow. book, its journey, its message?
1: Yes. So um, here is the book. So it's um, out of the trenches: stories of resilient educators, um, and so it's not really. So it has the same title as my podcast. And it does have some highlights from guests who are on the podcast talks about their trench stories, but it also leaves my trench story in um, just different aspects of my career. I talked a little bit about that first year in K-12 teaching, um, but a lot of what I ask readers is about um, defining their why right reevaluating their why as well um, for me. Um, at the beginning of my career, my why was teaching, uh, world languages and, um, helping students learn about the culture, um, in the language of those countries. But it, you know, it changed as I got into teacher leadership positions. And I learned more about just some of the needs that students have, like with the tenants and, um, some of the discipline and the hallways and those types of things. So I think, um, I, I, I do ask questions of teachers who've been in the classroom in the same grade level for a while, like, um, you know, because a lot of there are teachers that kind of done the same old, same old for years and reevaluating the why, why and why, you know, why they ch- might choose to stay in that position or move on. Um, I did see a post yesterday yesterday. Um, uh, Chris, who's, um, uh, the unlock the middle, one of the co-hosts he just put out, I mean, after 20 years as a principal in the same middle school, he's moving on to a high school. (laughs) So, you know, and that's like, he's redefining his why, right. He's growing. And I think we can all grow. It might not be changing positions, but it's, um, just, uh, maybe finding, um, other like uh, duties if you're a teacher, like uh, maybe coaching or sponsoring a uh, club, right? Um, and it could also be uh, maybe helping in education in other ways um, if, in terms of, uh, you know, speaking more um, at conferences, um, being a part of a, a professional organization, things like that. And I think the pandemic was a reset button for a lot of us. Um, there were a lot of people who left education, but I think um, we don't want, people necessarily to leave education but if they're um, not happy in their current role it's really finding what can make you grow and surround yourself
0: by those people beautiful thank you so much for Mm -hmm. sharing that before i ask you about your productivity Mm -hmm. let's praise the teach better community this podcast is a proud member of the teach better podcast network better today better tomorrow and the podcast to get you there Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. So as you know, Dana, being successful in any field includes being on top of our productivity, but this means different things for different people. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you?
1: I think it's really having organized uh, schedule and knowing what you're doing throughout the day, you know, in school administration, things come up. But if you have that time that you're sharing with your admin assistant that, you know, this is the administrative time, you know, this is when I'm going to check emails, complete paperwork, um, you know, fin- finish teacher evaluations, those types of things. Um, you know, that's the undisturbed time I need to be in my office, right? Um, and then I I plan for a block of time where I'm gonna be in classrooms. So getting in, um, making that a priority every day. Um, You know, there's gonna be fires to put out throughout the day, but I think the more that I'm in the classrooms invisible in the building, um, the less fires there will be to put out, right? Um, An administrator's job is, you know, unpredictable. Um, But I think if we can have uh, some of our tasks delegated, right, like you said, to um, having these um, forms ready for signature um having a lot of things printed out beforehand um you know if there's phone calls uh, making sure that we have an admin assistant we can trust to get the right information from parents or stakeholders um and then in terms of anybody who shows up um, because that wasn't an issue for a couple of years right coming to having uh, people show up to the building unannounced but now it's become more you know uh main main um just uh, you know we do have parents coming um so just making sure that they're able to kind of um, have that parent um you know get some information from them and then i come when you know i'm done with a teacher uh, observation or something like that so um i think it does flow more if you have those structures in place if you also have um a good organizational system right uh, in terms of those paper files and uh, online files and and have um your task delegated um, with the admin assistants, uh, um, you know, concise. And if you're, if you're changing schools, it's just also knowing that your admin assistants are, are your, uh, right-hand people. Right. Uh, <laughs> so they, they basically help run the school, um, and you can't be without them.
0: Beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm in my pro in the process of transitioning to uh-huh. a, a new school in the yeah. fall. Okay. Um, What advice would you give people like me who want to, quote, unquote, train administrative assistants to work with you? What advice would you you provide?
1: Well, first of all, I think one of the most important things is to make sure that they are people- people, right? Because they're the face of the school when we have parents or stakeholders come in. So really see how they're interacting uh, when somebody's coming in person or on the phone. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, we do discover sometimes there has been a negative interaction and we get that later from the parent, right? So really, um, it could be just simply uh, going through some role play scenarios um, on how to react to some, some different things that parents or stakeholders might say Um, And then also um, really talking with them through some of the systems um, in terms of like, what do they do if, um, you know, teacher really needs to see you right away um, or we have um, uh, some students. Um, you know, who want to come about, come talk to the principal about, um, you know, something that they like to see change um, with the school. Um, I think the more you're available, especially for the students, um, the better relationships you have with them, um, but also make sure that they know, um, you know, if you're not in, in the building or in the office, that there might be a, a better time to see you. And then also that they know, like the teachers and the students know, like, hey, um, he is in his office, At this particular time, usually. And if he's not, you might be able to find him at such and such place. But, um, you know, because I've been so often kind of uh, out and about in the building, um, if people need me, you know, I have a radio, right? And I can always step out of a classroom and talk to somebody in the hallway for a short period of time. So that's, you know, I just don't, I'm one of those people who. Has kind of that mobile office and takes the <laughs> takes the laptop with me, right? Um, so I think if you're if you're letting it be known that like hey, you know, he's not always in his office, um, you know that that like people will will be able to find you where you're at, but also there's that undisturbed block of time as well that they need to know is sacred, right? I think it's having that open door policy without actually having your door door open <laughs> the whole time. <laughs>
0: Amen. Amen. I agree with that. Um, So um, tell us about uh, how do you organize your email and schedule? What are some Uh tips and techniques you can share with the viewers and listeners of the show?
1: Well, I've I've gotten a lot of productivity techniques from the principal center um, and just go on. uh, It's Justin Bader who runs the principal center and just Google that. I've been a member. They have the instructional leadership association and it goes back like even to 2017. He's done a lot of webinars. So there's like a vault of webinars if you're a member of the instructional leadership association and it talks a lot about like the inbox zero, for example, and how you you, you do have different folders for different priorities in your email and and also having your administrative assistant uh, flag a lot of the messages that are, you know, things that you need to read right away, right? Um, A principal can get, it just depends on where you're at, but you can get 300 to over a thousand emails per day, right? So it's, you know, a lot of those emails can be um, just, uh, I wouldn't say always spam, but, um, you know, just companies that are looking for, you know, you to buy their books or, you know, you could have a lot of community members that want to come and, you know, pitch something. Right. So it's uh it's having somebody organize those in order in order of productivity and what you or order of priority and what you need to see right away versus what really can just go to the um, junk mail folder. Um, and so the inbox zero, I would highly recommend. Um, and also I think Danny Bowers given a lot of um, dif- different talks throughout the years as well on uh, productivity and having uh, a schedule in place. I think he, he talks a lot and he's gotten this from uh, the business world as well, but having um, the daily, um, a startup routine and a wind down routine, right? Uh, when you get to work, um, I, 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 my startup routine is always working out. Right. And I, um, the Teach Better mastermind, I'm the one who doesn't have the camera on cause I'm on my run. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's early in the morning here. So I'm on my So run. you learn
0: as you run, you're, you're, you're learning, you're listening to? Yes. yes. Oh, wow And I'll join okay. in on
1: the chat sometimes or unmute, okay. but you know, it's it's the startup routine for me is the exercise. And mm-hmm. then it's getting into the building, taking care of some of those uh, administrative tasks right before the students arrive. Um, but in the wind down routine, it's really making sure that you've, checked off um, some of those need to do tests, but you're not taking work home. And that's something, you know, I learned to do as I was kind of transitioning out of the classroom, because when I was teaching, I did take a lot of grading home and things like that. But I realized mm-hmm. time home is sacred. Um, you know, there might be phone calls that you have to make sometimes to parents and, and um, staff uh, every so often from home. But and and sometimes answer emails, but really trying to keep that uh, minim- minimal. Um, and then having also those um, set time frames um, that you're going to have those breaks, right? It, the brain kids need brain breaks, and so do adults, right? So like getting some fresh air, um, and and you know if you have several buildings on your campus, that's easy because you're going from one building to another. Um, but also just taking a walk break uh, with a student. Outside Mm. goes a long way. Like, if you need to dysregulate a student, you know, having them go and just uh, dribble a ball or, you know, play catch with them outside helps a lot, Uh, you know, kind of with that conversation piece (laughs) and really enjoying the weather. And then, duties like, I I see that as kind of that brain break as well. If you're outside uh, supervising kiddos um, or greeting them in the morning um, and just kind of greeting the day, right? You're helping them get off the bus, but you're also getting that outside time as well, because, you know, I'm in Colorado and I like to appreciate the sunlight that we have because we have so many days of of sunshine um, and usually nice weather. So that helps you have a more positive day, I think, is just getting a little bit of that sunlight rather than just being cooped up in the building all
0: day. Beautiful. Thank you so Mm -hmm. much. So uh, let's talk about uh, the productivity side of Mm -hmm. writing a book. Yeah. Uh, what lessons do you learn uh, about writing a book and what recommendations do you have for those of us who are thinking about uh, getting to write?
1: Well, I think once you've signed a contract, so I did, I know some people have already written a book or most of their book before they signed a contract. I had actually only written a few chapters and I had an outline and then I signed the contract. So I had a book to write and I needed to put aside time to, you know, develop the book. So for me, it was setting a goal because I completed a capstone project of the, um, my doctorate, um, I would say two years prior to that. So I um, i kind of used some of the same tools that I did during the writing of my capstone and my research. And I just made sure that I spent a certain amount of time per day writing um, I know some people like, you know, they'll get up at 4.30 and they're write for an hour every day. I didn't necessarily do that. But a lot of the writing was during the remote and hybrid um, time period. So I was doing some of that just when there was um, not, there weren't so many kids in the building and there wasn't some, there weren't so many fires to put out, so to speak. So it did give, give me a little bit more productivity time during the day to write. But also writing when the, you know, thoughts come to you, which I do now for blogging. And you have that moment. Um, I know Dave Schmidt, he does a lot of his writing by just talking into the voice recording app on his phone. Um, I didn't do it like that, but I did also take some time during the weekends. I did take a weekend away from my family to, to write. And I got a lot of writing done. And then I had a goal of how many words I was going to do, uh, during certain months and like what it was going to look like from the time I signed my contract in early August to early November. So like the 90 day goal. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, having, um, a little bit of that body together, and then then going with my publisher and then finding out like what uh, were some gaps that I needed to fill, um, and then revisiting that um, like three months afterwards, and um, just getting some feedback from other people. I remember talking with Jeff Gargas and um, uh, I think also Josh Stamper, I talked to him as well, and some other authors just kind of on how how to get like more of the writing flowing, so to speak. Um, So, and I think it's like, it it does take time, Um, you know, it can take several years to get the body of the book written. Um, It just depends kind of uh, what your goals are in terms of when you want it to go into the editing queue with your um, publisher as well. Um, I was lucky enough to get in got a contract with my publisher early enough when they were kind of just kicking off. And now they have a lot of people who've signed contracts. So the editing queue is longer. Um, But um, there was a long time to wait in that queue. And then finally, when I got to editing, it did take a few months. So it is like, know that once you have your manuscript done, it's still going to take a while before the book actually comes out. So be patient. I think patience is the key. Um, Once you've finished your manuscript and it's all kind of in the hands of the publisher
0: how do How does one find a publisher?
1: Well, I think it's reaching out right it's It's kind of that cold calling situation. Uh, if you have a finished manuscript, you can always, um, you know, ask for a meeting with publishers. I mean, we have several educational publishers out there: EduMatch, Codebreaker, Road to Awesome. Um, and it's, um, you know, requesting a meeting giving them an idea of what you have or something that you like to write or, you know, ideas uh, about a book and hearing if that's something that they're interested in. Um, but it's you know, like letting go of that imposter syndrome as well, right? Mm. Um, I think a lot of us feel like. You know, we have something to say, but, you know, would somebody want to read my book? You know, so that's it, it's it's also getting um, encouragement from family and friends. Right. Uh, because it is a big undertaking uh, to write a book. Right. But everybody has a story to share. Um, and a lot of people who've been in education as long as both of us have been. I mean, we have stories from from in the trenches, Right. We have stories from what we've learned from our students and, and staff. And. Um, and I think, um, you know, you don't have to be somebody who was a great writer in high school or in college, right? Um, that's what the editor's for. Um, you don't have to sit down, as I said, like Dave Schmidto doesn't do that. You have you don't have to sit down at a computer necessarily and type it all out. You can record your thoughts as you go. Um, but like, yeah, doing it in your way. And also um, a lot of people, it helps not having that time frame and just getting the ideas together once you've um, you know, once an editor editors picked up on your idea, or just working on the book first and then pitching it to an editor when you have um, a semi-finished manuscript al- at least.
0: Beautiful. When you finally publish that book mm-hmm. that you probably have been thinking for a long time,, yeah. um, Does your eager want to keep writing continuous? Does it feel like sometimes I feel that if I sit down to write a book, then I'm going to have nothing else to say. What is the mm-hmm. feeling of being able to finally publish something and what happens the next day?
1: Um, well, I, you know, I'd been waiting uh, for a while after I finished a manuscript for it to be published. So I don't think I would say that I was eager to write another book right away because I still write the blogs and I put out the podcast content Um, So I think I have a lot of those spaces to fill my bucket. Um, I think, I mean, a lot of people do write a second book um, and follow up books. So I am not closing out that possibility at some point. you know, I think it's like um, a, running a marathon or any other type of race. Like, you know, you've worked up towards that goal and then you want to do another one. Uh, but it's also real, um, really thinking in due time, right? When is the best time to do this this other race? Um, you know, when, when does it work in your schedule? Um, and also what are some ideas in terms of writing that you can get together that will serve others? So I think right now I'm at that point where I'm just as I mentioned, some of those titles, just soaking up learning from others. Um, I like putting out the blog post um, a couple times a month and then serving my school community. Um, so, you know, maybe three to five years from now, I wouldn't um, mind putting together ideas for another book, but I, I know some people crank them out every year and, you know, Beautiful. I think I'll, I'll wait a little bit.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. And uh, talk to us about uh, your podcasting journey. Um mm-hmm what uh i mean of all the things that you do you decide i'm all i'm also going to work <laughs> on a, a podcast and tell us about uh what lessons have you learned
1: yeah so um i started my podcast during the pandemic uh and it wasn't just i i you know i had extra time and thought about starting a podcast it was also because i'd been thinking for about nine months prior to that about starting a podcast um, I was working on my doctorate at the time. I reached out to Danny Bauer, who's helped a lot of people uh, get their podcasts launched and talk to them about equipment and things like that. So I decided to just launch it um, and I just, I knew like I wanted something to do with the trenches because we're all going through trench periods during our educational journey and being in the trenches is a positive connotation for some people, but also it can be something we want to get out of um, because it's that difficult time. So I talk about that that in the book as well. Like what does the trenches mean to you? Um, And then like my, um, premise is I always ask the guests, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. So I like hearing other people's stories. And really when I got started, the uh, first couple of guests were people that I'd worked with, co- colleagues, and um, you know heard a lot from them. And then I got some suggestions for other um, guests. I'd, um, I was connected to some people on Twitter at the time, but I got connected to a lot more. And through, through that journey, I also heard about a lot of people on the Teach Better team, um, and other people that I've been connected to and other authors. Um, so it's really, uh, I would say, probably without the podcast, I would not have been connected to so many people that I'm connected to mm-hmm. now. And now I'm also thinking about like doing some second episodes mm-hmm. with some of my previous guests. Cause I've had at this point, I've put out 300, no, not 300, 238 episodes, but I've recorded about 30 more than that. So I, I've had like, 260 guests or you know some guests have been repeat guests so um i think also just reaching out i reached out to uh, casey uh, Jakobsky the other day who just put out a new book so he'll record with me in august um so i think also like really seeing kind of what have some of these people done that i haven't recorded with in a couple of years and then having them back on again uh is good so yeah, I think it's something I'm going to keep keep doing. Um, you know, sometimes I have more time than others. Now that school's out, I'll have more time to record. But it ebbs and flows. I have a good stock of episodes, so I let people know there is going to be a little bit of time be- between a recording through when it's actually published. But
0: um, okay, yeah. for me, uh, uh, podcasting has become uh, the continuous mastermind. I, mm-hmm. I I find a lot of. Um, uh happiness in getting to learn from people like you and how you know you think about things and how mm-hmm. you get organized and, but for me are the the two steps for success right mm-hmm. they they have to connect with your why your productivity and your wisdom mm-hmm. so uh you mentioned several times your blogging journey uh how what lessons have you learned about blogging and why do you blog
1: Well, I think the lessons I've learned is that there's always a story to share, Um, you know, uh, something that can be very uh, minute, right, (laughs) that I experienced during the day can also be a thought for other people to learn from, right? Um, So I sometimes just blog about like an interaction that I had with a colleague or a student, right, or, um, you know, a kindness that was reciprocated through a stranger, so, um, you know, I, I think it helped that I'd been uh, writing a book at the time when I started blogging and, uh, you know, that I've done, it's not the same as academic writing uh, at all, but, um, you know, I'd put out a few blogs on my website many years prior to that. So, um, it's just being able to, um, you know, make sure that you're fine with putting your ideas out there to a larger group because being on the teach better as a guest blogger, it's going to be a larger group than just if you publish blogs on your website. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think kind of thinking of, I don't go with themes. I know a lot of bloggers do. They like, they'll, they'll like teach happier blog, for example, or, you know, um, uh, I know Alex, he does, like, subbing, blogs about subbing, Um, so I just blog about kind of what comes to me, (laughs) but I think it's really um, having that community of people who are also blogging, reading their blogs, I like to read through the blogs and share out other people's blogs, Um, and then also giving, like, kind of steps for the people who are reading um, of of what they can think about, like, the other day I said I wrote about um, reflecting on the year, some of those things that they can reflect on, so uh, having it be a take, Away. Having it be a short read, yeah, uh, uh, things to take away uh, from that uh,
0: article. Awesome. And finally, tell us about, um, you mentioned you run. Tell mm-hmm. us about your, why do you exercise and uh-huh. uh, what is uh, your routine? Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So I had started running for a little bit, like in 2011 with a mom's group. And I did a 5K then, but then that was it. We trained for a 5K and then I let it go. So I, I started running again in 2016. Um, I was going through a difficult time and I'm like, I really need to just, you know, be um, diligent about this because it's about starting a new habit, right? It's like, you don't want to, but it's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run a mile or however long. And I didn't really consult a training plan when I started I just said, I'm gonna set aside this time. I downloaded an app um, and I just got into it. Um, I did start out in 2016 with a lot of 5Ks and then I moved on kind of end of 16, early 17 with more 10Ks. So I worked up the distance. Um, And then I did, uh, I think even in the spring of 17, I did like 25Ks, which is like 15 miles and half marathons uh, the following fall. So I, I worked up the distance pretty quickly. Um, and so I think it's just making sure that you, uh, keep consistent. I run about three times a week in the early mornings, uh, I make sure Saturdays I have time to do a couple hours. Um, cause recently I'd been training for a marathon. So it was like several hours of running. And now yesterday, even though, you know, I'm done, I did, uh, still a, a, a shorter, a lot shorter distance, but still was out there for a couple hours, but I did kind of a lot of run walking. Right. And it kind of also depends on the terrain. Like I'm not somebody who always runs up hills. Like I'll do a lot of walk breaks. So it's like not, not being judging on yourself. Like, it's just like, kind of like with the writing and, and, um, the imposter syndrome, when you're running, like, don't compare yourself to others because I'm like a slow runner and I've gotten slower (laughs) because I have knee issues. So I don't like try to, get a certain minute per, um, you know, uh, mile pace. Uh, you know, I can't necessarily do the same minute per mile that I did like five years ago. Um, but it's doing as long as you can until like quote unquote, your body gives out. Right. And hopefully I'll still be able to run for a little while longer. I know my knees not getting any better, but you know, I do also the cross training, you know, the yoga, mm. um, you know, the, uh, the weights and things like that. So, Um, it does help my mental health and it helps my productivity just to have that workout in the morning.
0: Beautiful. When you run or do exercise, do you listen to something uh, or if so, what do you listen to? Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So I do like when I do the long runs on Saturdays, I listen to music. But uh, the other times during the week, I listen to podcasts. (laughs) So um, I I listen, I have like on rotation, I I do Leading Equity with Sheldon Akins. I do Better Leaders, Better Schools with Danny Bauer, the Principal Center with Justin Bader. Um, I also listen to uh, Middle School Matters, and I forgot the names of the hosts. But I also do listen to a couple of running podcasts, uh, uh, Another Mother Runner, And then uh, the Rich Roll podcast, which is more like Mm. uh, lifestyle and um, just a thought, you know, thought leaders. He talks to a lot of different people um, who've written books just kind of on meditation and plant based uh, diets and things like that. So I try to mix it up and not just listen to educational podcasts.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And Mm -hmm. Dana, uh, anything else that you do for fun?
1: I mean, I like to travel. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> tell, us, tell us about it.
1: So, um, you know, this summer I'm going to actually see a friend and colleague, uh, Karina Beldo, she was on my podcast about a year ago. Um, so I'll be traveling via Seattle up to British Columbia. Um, mm. So, yeah, so we're taking about a 10 day trip. Uh, seeing Vancouver and she lives in kind of the middle of British Columbia, Uh, so just, I like to see new, new places that I hadn't seen. Um, you know, every summer. Um, and we, we've usually gone to Europe every two or three years. So we went last year and I'll probably go again next year. Um, so the mastermind with better leaders, better schools, they're coming to Denver this summer. So I don't Mm -hmm. have to travel for that, but, um, you know i like going they did like taos new mexico a year and a half ago so if it's a short retreat that's not too far mm-hmm. away i like going to those things um you know traveling for conferences like the teach better conference um and i'll be at amle i like kind of having an excuse to go somewhere for the weekend right um so you don't always get to see the area if you're going to mm-hmm. a conference. But if you have time, maybe build on an extra day to to explore more. Um, But like, yeah, I'm always kind of restless to like get away um, for either a weekend or a week or so. Um, And I do take that opportunity in the summers always to go on a 10 day or more trip with the family.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. What a great uh, Mm -hmm. uh, um, learning time I just spent with you. Uh, Dana, any last thoughts for the viewers and listeners of the show?
1: I would say like going back to that imposter syndrome and the learning um, that you get from others, it's like um, really uh, hear from others, uh, grow, don't take things personally and know that um, you're ever changing and evolving and being open to feedback helps you become a better educator.
0: Thank you, Dana. Thank you so much. I hope that you have a fantastic Sunday. (laughs) You too. Thank you for listening to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Eparin Martinez. Chulo. And the head of production, Chulo
1: out.